If you got your notes in front of you, we're going to move through these, uh, and we're going to finish up this evening in this series about the grace approach. We've talked about soul winning. We're talking about soul buildings. We're talking about bringing people to faith in Christ. We're talking about building people in their faith, helping them to grow in their faith. And uh, we're going to work through these notes, and I hope that uh, you'll follow along with me. I want to tell you that I've, I've, I've taken the notes that you have, and I've written the answers in them. And if you, are, are you sort of OCD like me? I like my answers to fit on the line. I don't like them to hang over the line. If you're going to do that tonight, you're going to have to write small in some places, okay? But to get it all onto two sheets like we're, we're trying to do, we had to do so. So just keep that in mind. Uh, the grace approach, we use the letters of grace as an acronym. Uh, we, get, we gain their attention. Uh, there's a number of ways to do that. Uh, we relate the gospel to them. We ask the question about their relationship to God. Uh, we encourage them to call on the Lord. I'm trusting in you tonight, Lord Jesus. And then we explain the promises. It's just a little memory tool. There's nothing profound about it. It's just a different way to say what all of us need to be doing uh, to give us something that we can work with to, to continue to move forward in sharing the gospel. But once we've shared the gospel and somebody has trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we don't leave them and walk away from them, but we want to help them to grow in their discipleship. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says we're to go and make what? Disciples. So the first step of that is a decision to, to trust in Jesus, but then there is this ongoing relationship that is a growing relationship. And there's seven, if you will, there are seven of these foundational truths that every believer needs to know. Number one, soul builders teach new converts the seven foundations of the spiritual life. Now, you got somebody you've led to Jesus, somebody you're trying to help grow in the faith. These seven things are the first seven things you want them to learn. The first has to do with baptism. Letter A is baptism. Every person who trusts in the Lord Jesus should follow the Lord in believer's baptism. They should profess their faith. It doesn't have to be a big church service. Uh, it can be a smaller setting. Uh, the Ethiopian eunuch was riding along and Stephen, with Stephen, and he looked and saw some water, and he said, what hinders me from being baptized? And they stopped. They went down into the water, and he was baptized. There were those traveling with him that were seeing him, but he got baptized right there immediately in that place. It wasn't necessarily a big service, but it was a profession of his faith. We need to teach people about baptism. We have people sitting here every Sunday who've trusted in Jesus but haven't followed the Lord and believer's baptism. The second aspect of baptism is this. If you were baptized by sprinkling or you were baptized by pouring, that's not the biblical mode of baptism. The biblical mode of baptism is to go into the water and go under the water and come up out of the water. That's what it says about Jesus. He came up out of the water. He went down into the water. Uh, it's a profession. It's a declaration. Uh, it's a matter of, of symbolizing I've buried my old life. God has buried my old life, and I've been raised to live a new life. I believe in the death of Jesus. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, in baptism is something we want to help every new believer do. You can do other things in the Christian life, and you can be obedient in other areas of your life, but it's sort of like having a foundation that isn't complete, and you're 
uneven and uneasy on your foundation, if you haven't followed the Lord in believer's baptism, that letter B is assurance of salvation. We want them to know that they know that they know. Please hear me when I say this. I say it so many times. You know, you've been in one place as long as I've been here. You said it every way you know to say it, so it's, you just keep saying it again and again. And they keep telling me that you have to say something, I don't know, 20 or 25 times before people ever hear it the first time. Isn't that amazing? People need to know that they know that they know Jesus Christ. And you know that not by looking at your works or looking at your deeds. You know that by looking at the promises of God. You look at the promises and you take God at his word. That he saved you just as he said he would save you. So when you get to John 3.16, which by the way, you can use the Romans road, but I recommend just using a single verse, a verse like John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish. Does it mean that? Absolutely it means that. Should not perish, but have everlasting life. How long does uh, God's life lasts. It's everlasting life. We want them to know that they know that they know. There is nothing worse for a person to live thinking they've got to keep themselves saved. The greatest thing that there is is to know. It, you, then you, you, you stop serving Christ out of compulsion and you start serving Christ out of love uh, because you know that you know you're a child of God. Letter C is church membership. We want to teach them the importance of church membership. We have a starting point class that's on the 12th, 4.30 in the afternoon. And if you know somebody that is not a member of the church, that wants to know more about the church, or maybe would like to become a part of the church, then you want to invite them to that class. Because we want them to know that Christ is the head of the church. We want them to see the significance of what they do and the importance of the church membership, the reason why I have a church membership class is to raise the bar on what it means to be a member of a church. We don't just sit there and go home and slide in and slide out whenever we make a commitment. Actually, I, I would say that, that being a member of a church is almost like a marriage. For you to leave a church to go somewhere else should mean that that church is doing something significantly wrong, doctrinally wrong, ethically wrong, morally wrong. Yes, sometimes God moves people for other reasons, but too many people move for the wrong reasons. They just can't get along with somebody else. And it may just be that what God wants that person to do in your life is to, is to, is to sand off the rough edges of your life to make you look like, more like Jesus. And if you leave them... And then you, you remove the work that God is doing. People just move way too easily. I hope, you're the core, uh, I hope you feel like we're married. I don't mean literally, but I mean in, in the church membership that we're married. To, to leave this church would mean I'm either preaching something doctrinally wrong, I'm doing something morally wrong, or ethic, ethically wrong. If you can't get along with somebody, there's lots of other people to get along with, Right? That's the way it works, church membership. Letter D is Bible reading. We want them to read their Bibles. We provide an outline to help them with reading. We encourage reading all the time. We want them to see that the Bible is a lamp. The reason why people live the way they live and they don't live like Christ would have them live is because they don't know what the Bible says. 
back to the morality issue, I, I can't tell you how many people that are the 18 to 25-year-old age bracket don't know that it's wrong to live together before marriage. They don't know it. They, they don't know it. How can you not know that? Well, if you've not been around the church, you've not read your Bible or been in the Bible, you've, you've not been around Christians very long, you don't know that. You've got to be taught that. Letter E is prayer. We want to teach them about prayer and the importance of just talking to God. You know, uh, I've done a lot of talking to God lately. You know, it's just talking to your best friend. And here's the great thing. I tell some of you things, uh, and then I hear those things coming back to me from other people. Uh, which I wouldn't share with you something that I didn't want you to tell somebody else, but I hear it coming back that I didn't tell that person. And, you know, isn't it great that you can go and tell the Lord anything, anything at all, and it never gets repeated. He's always willing to listen. We have times of thanksgiving. We have times of confession. We have times of requests. I love when Bill Blankenship prays. Almost, almost, I don't know if every prayer is this way, but almost at the end of every prayer, when he closes his prayer, he says something to this effect, and Lord, forgive us where we've wronged you or where we've, how do you say it, Brother Bill? That's the word. Forgive us where we have failed you. Aren't we grateful that we have a God who's a forgiving God? A father who is a forgiving father. Letter F is stewardship. We want them to learn the stewardship of their time of their talents, and of their treasures. Three T's, time, talent, and treasures. We want to give time to serving God. We want to give our talents to the serving of God, and we want to give our treasures, that's our money, to the work of God. Uh, Where your treasure is, what is he going on to say? There will your heart be also. If you're not investing time, you're not investing your talents, you're not investing your treasures in the work of God's church, I can tell you your heart's not here. And number G is witnessing, sharing the gospel with others. We want to teach them to do what we've done in leading them to faith. Jesus says that he makes his disciples to be fishers of men. Fishers of men. We should always be fishing for others to come to faith in Jesus. Now, after you get through those seven, there's lots of other things that can be talked about. We're going to talk about them in church services. We're going to talk about them in life groups. We're going to talk about them in Bible studies, things like spiritual warfare and the the Christ life. You know what I mean by the Christ life? Where it's not about, I got to do more, I got to do more, but I got to surrender more and let God do through me. The Christ life, the Spirit of God's work, the work of the Spirit of God, spiritual gifts, and so forth. There's a lot of other things to learn, whether you teach those things or not, whether they learn those in a different setting or not. We've got to help people to grow in their faith. Number two, soul building that does not go on to soul winning is not true discipleship. I've led somebody to Jesus, and I haven't led them through the process to help them go back. Let me, just, let me say it this way. You say you're a disciple of Jesus and you're not concerned about eternal souls, you're not really a disciple of Jesus. It's impossible to be a disciple of Jesus and not develop the heart of Jesus for other people. Letter A, the ministry of reconciliation has been committed to all of Christ's disciples. Did you know that? That's not just my ministry. 
Tim's ministry, Bill's ministry, Jeremy's ministries, Nathan's ministry, uh, Matt's ministry. That's all of our ministry. The ministry of reconciliation, letter I. Reconciliation is necessary because man is estranged from God. How will they know if we don't tell them? I've given you verses there you can read about it. Man is estranged from God. Are we in agreement on that? We are sinners in need of the Savior. Letter number two, let two eyes, the, I guess that's eyes, whatever those are. You got two eyes too on your face. As a, ministry, as a ministry, it is our service rendered to God. As a ministry, it is our service rendered to God. The highest service you can render is the service of sharing the gospel with others. Fulfilling the ministry of reconciliation, that number three there, we become the instrument in God's hand, the instrument in God's hand to bring bring the reconciliation of man to God. Let me stop here for just a quick moment. Let me just tell you, we don't reconcile God to man. God needs no reconciliation. We bring the reconciliation of man to God, and we become the instrument. Uh, Jesus is the, he's the mediator. There is one mediator between God and man, the, the man Christ Jesus. But who's been given the ministry of introducing people to Jesus? You and I have been given that privilege and that opportunity. Letter B, the word Not just the ministry of reconciliation, but the word of reconciliation has been committed to Christ's disciples. Look at it, 2 Corinthians 5, 19. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. What is the word of reconciliation? It's the gospel. How are you reconciled to God? Through Jesus through the gospel of Christ, through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, right? Let her see. We have been given a position of reconciliation. I mean, our position, our role is that of bringing reconciliation man to God. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us. Uh, the word of reconciliation. Actually, I think I have 19, 20. I think I put the... Uh, I, somebody open verse 20. Somebody get verse 20 here. I'll get it right here. I brought a Bible with me. I heard Brother Tim's been teaching you downstairs. You should always carry your Bible. And I'm 100, 1,000% in agreement. D- don't carry just an iPad or an iPhone. Uh, get, get your Bible out. Are you all with me? Uh, chapter 5. Is that in the New Testament? Uh, it says now verse 20. This is where I, I copied the wrong verse and pasted the wrong verse here. But verse 20, under letter C, where it says 2 Corinthians 5.20, what it actually says is this. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, all of you OCD people with me will have to throw out that page, and I'll have to get you a corrected page. Letter D, it's impossible for a person to be a disciple of Christ and not care 
not care for those still without Christ. It's impossible. I didn't say you couldn't be a Christian, but you can't be what a disciple is, a devoted follower of Jesus. It's impossible to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus and not care about those that are without Christ. It's just not possible. You can't say I'm a follower of Jesus and not not live and love like Jesus. Jesus was, he, he came to, what did Jesus come to do? To seek and to, now you and I can't save anybody, but we seek them and we bring them to the Savior. If you're going to be like Jesus, you've got to seek and save. Letter E, healthy soul-building methods produce reproducers. Um, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Number three. Neglect of the ministry of soul building will hinder the church from reaching the world. And that's where we are today. Because we haven't discipled people and brought them to the place of being reproducers, the end result is that we are hindering the advance of the gospel. I want to read you something. It was written by Dawson Trotman. It was written many years ago in a book that probably every, every preacher reads at one time or another. It's called Born to Reproduce. Dawson Trotman was a part of a ministry that was, you know, really wonderful about the ministry of discipleship. But I want you to listen to three paragraphs from this book. I copied these many years ago. Listen to them. Along with the believer, he's talking about reproducing. He's talking about finding somebody you can disciple, lead to Christ, help them to go on with Christ, to become a reproducer themselves. Along with the believer's spiritual activity, he is praying that God will give him a man. Perhaps it takes him six months to reach another for Christ and get him started giving out the word and getting a man for himself. So this first man at the end of six months has another man. Each man wins another in the next six months. At the end of one year, there are just four of them. The four get together and have prayer and determine not to allow anything to sidetrack them. They want to get the gospel out to a lot of people, but check up on at least one and see him through. So they want to get it everywhere, but they're going to make sure every six months they're winning somebody to Christ and helping them to go on with Christ. So the four of them in the next six months each get a man. That makes eight at the end of a year and a half. At the end of two years, there are 16. Three years produce 64. And at the end of five years, there are 1,024. And at the end of 15 and a half years, there are 2,176,000 people who are one to Christ. Uh, I know that we talk about this in our staff meeting. That's, that's not addition. What is that? That's multiplication. And that's what God wants us to do. So here's what happens in our church. If you decide you're going to join me in this, and I've been asking, I'm going to ask you again tonight, but I've been asking you through the series, if you bring one person this year to the church, to Christ and to the church. Bring one person, if every one of us did that. And then next year, we did the same thing again. And the year after that, the same thing again. Do you see how multiplication would happen in this community? We could change the tri-state with the gospel if we just did that. Now, I want to give you an image. I want to put one on the board, if I can show it to you here. I think they have it. Yeah, there it is. Many years ago... Our staff sat down and we read a book called Concentric Circles of Concern. It was a book about being a witness for Christ. And they had this 
uh, black and white illustration that I stole. So this is not mine. I stole it and we made it pretty. I say we, I mean Matt Waller made it pretty. Uh, where do you start this process? Well, we're going to walk through this here. So get your notes back out. On the back page, the last page, we're going to bring it all together. Are you ready? Just, just leave that up there, if you will, because I'll go to that in just a minute. Before you can reach anyone effectively, you must first be right with God yourself and right with your fellow man. Right with God yourself and right with your fellow man. If you're going to reach somebody, you've got to start with yourself. You've got to get right. See self at the very, at the very center? You've got to start with yourself. And you see the arrows at the very top? Whether it's upward, vertically, or whether it's horizontally. We've got to be right with God, and we've got to be right with others around us. I love the way Paul says this. Acts 24, verse 16, this being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense in what directions? Toward God and men. That's vertically and horizontally. I strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. Now, let me tell you where my struggle is. Maybe your struggle is the same thing. My struggle is not as much with staying right with God as it is staying right with other people. And my tendency is, and maybe your tendency is, to turn it into an us against them and them against us. Because I don't like something that they're doing. I don't like something, I don't like something about the way they're living. And I don't like their politics. I don't like, and you name whatever it is, people that don't know Jesus, people that don't have faith in Christ, people that don't have the Bible as the base of their life, the guide of their life, and you turn it into an us against them. When I do that, and I've done that, when I do that, I shut down all, almost all possibilities of reaching people with the gospel. The Bible says we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. That means if your neighbor is gay or straight, you're to love your neighbor as yourself. Loving somebody doesn't mean that you're approving of something. Loving somebody means that I'm going to show them the compassion of Christ so that prayerfully I can lead them ultimately to faith in Christ. It may be somebody who takes care of their property and somebody who doesn't take care of their property. We've all had neighbors like that. Well, I don't have any real neighbors that don't take care of their property, but some of you do. It may be somebody that gets under your skin because they're one particular a political persuasion and another who's, who's another persuasion. And, oh, I'm just so frustrated with them. I can't understand them. As soon as you take on that spirit, as soon as I take on that spirit, I've turned it into an us against them and a them against us, and I have shut down the opportunity to be able to share the gospel. That's why, and I'm going to say it tonight, while I have very strong political beliefs, I have very strong biblical moral beliefs, we preach, about, um, we preach about abortion sometimes. We preach about uh, morality. I'm going to be doing that on Sunday mornings before very long. We preach about things that the Bible has a specific word to say about them. But listen, friends, uh, there's no political party that's going to save America. The only person who can save America is Jesus. 
And if we don't get the gospel to them, if we turn them into our enemies, we cease to have opportunity to be able to share the gospel with them. Am I saying don't, don't believe what you believe? Absolutely not. Don't speak up about what you say, what you believe? Absolutely not. I'm saying, not saying that. But if you're the kind of hot-headed person that just sort of, you know, do your emotions ever get out of, out of control? Mine can get out of control sometimes. You've you got to be careful because you don't want to turn those people. The very, you know why they think that way? Because they don't know Jesus. They don't know his word. Number two, many people don't think they know anyone to reach with the gospel until they start surveying surveying those who fall within their concentric circles of concern. Now, I'm just borrowing this. You start with yourself. Are you right with God? What's the next circle right outside of yourself? You start looking around at your family. Is there somebody in my family that doesn't know Christ, that needs to come to Christ? Then you move out to your relatives. That's the family is the immediate family. Your relatives is the larger body of your family. You know, that's the ones that you go to be with that you don't always enjoy going to be with. <laughs> you know, do you have family like that? Well, Mary's not here. She left, so I have nobody to support me tonight. Um, anything I misstate, I can't correct because Mary's not here to correct it. Um, then you got your neighbors and your associates. You, got, you live in a neighborhood. You got people that you work with. Then you got acquaintances, people that are your acquaintances. You don't know them that well, but you know them. Are they saved? Are they right with God? Then you got person X. That's a stranger. That's somebody you've, never, you've really never met, but they've crossed your path somewhere along the way. I told you the story last week of the woman sitting at, at the, the car dealership while I was getting my tire serviced, and she told me about her husband uh, that had been 40 days at the hospital in Columbus, and I asked her if I could give her my name and my number and I could come pray for him at his house in Stanford Park. We've got to survey those people, immediate family, extended family, those that are around us, those we have contact with periodically. Say, I don't know who to talk to. They're already within the concentric circles of your life. You don't have to, you, unlikely you're going to have to go find people. I don't know who's saved. I, well, who will I ever know that's lost that needs Jesus? Well, if you feel that way, you, you probably haven't seen the reality yet. But you, you, they're right there in your own circles, right? Number three, having identified people that you can reach, you should start praying. And Brother Tim invites us, encourages us, do this all the time. I've given you cards to write down the names of people, praying for God to open doors of opportunity for you to share the gospel. Praying. You start praying for those that are within the concentric circles. You're right with God. You're seeking to be right with others. You're looking and surveying those that are within those circles that you have influence over. And then you start praying for those. Say, Lord, you know, my sister doesn't know you. And Lord, we've talked about, about you in the past, but it's been a long time since we talked about you. And Lord, she really needs to know you as Savior. And Lord, I've got to find a way to get the gospel to her again. I've got to find a way to introduce her to Jesus. I don't want her to go into eternity not knowing you, dear Jesus. You know, and you start praying. Power, pray for the power of God in your life. Can you do this on your own? No, you need God's power to do this. 
Pray for God to open doors to share the gospel. God opens doors if we only saw them. Pray for wisdom and discernment to see needs you can meet. I gave you a list of things, the death of a spouse or a family member. Uh, There were different things in, in decreasing amounts that impact our lives that create open doors of opportunity. And that last one, pray for God to open hearts to the gospel. Uh, don't you love that phrase in, in uh, Acts 16 where it says the Lord opened Lydia's heart, opened her heart. He, he opened her heart. Number four, most converts come to Christ because we build bridges. That's relationships to them over which we can cross to share the gospel. Not often are you going to lead a stranger that you've only met once or twice to the Lord. More often, you're going to bring people to faith in Christ that you built relationships with that are in that concentric circle or within those concentric circles. That's where you're going to most often lead people to Christ. They want to trust you. They want to know who you are. They want to know that it's real to you, that you're sincere about your faith, that you're not just, this is not just a quick sell. You're not the... uh, you're not the, this is so old, it's going to be silly. You're not the fuller brush salesman. Do they still do that? Is there still a fuller brush thing? You're not just the salesman that shows up on, you know, you've seen the, uh, the, uh, the uh, Andy Griffith show where Barney leaves being a, 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 a deputy because he's been offended by something and he goes out, he's selling vacuum cleaners. You know how good he is at that? Zero. A lot of us are like Barney when it comes to those kind of things. You've got to build relationships. People need to know that it's real to you before it'll be real to them. Build relationships. Uh, number, number five, once relationships have been established, we should begin looking for ways to show God's love, looking for ways to show God's love. It can be a happy occasion, a birthday. It can be an illness. It can be something with their children. Uh, maybe they got put on the honor roll. Any number of things. Maybe there's a reversal of business. You start looking for an opportunity to be able to share what Christ has done for you and how Christ has changed your life. Number six, showing love can basically be defined as meeting needs. Meeting needs. You're not going to get all that on that line we gave you. Showing love can basically be defined as meeting needs and makes a powerful witness. You know, when you show up uh, at your neighbor's house when they're having a crisis and you bring a pie or you just go over to say, I'm so sorry, and you go to the funeral home or you show up at the wedding or uh, you go to a ball game or any number of things. You know, our youth ministry is so good at this. They are so good at this. They show up at ball games. do Do you realize how many ball games Matt and April show up at? Heather and Hunter and Gracie show up at? and others in the, in the youth ministry, just going to ball games. I told Mary the other night, I'm so thankful I don't have to go to any more ball games. <laughs> You're just showing up. What are you doing? You're building a bridge. You're making a difference. You're meeting a need. Number seven, we should not give up on any person, even if they don't respond to the gospel at first. There's nobody beyond the reach of God's grace. There's nobody beyond the reach of God's grace. Nobody beyond his reach. Number eight, 
After we've led a person to faith in Christ, we must stay with them to help them grow in their faith. We've been talking about that. And we come to the final point of this series, the grace approach. We're done with this tonight. The gospel in the New Testament went from house to house, but not in the fashion we usually think of it. This goes back to the book, Concentric Circles of Concern. We usually think we go here and we win this person to Christ, then we go to the next door and we win that person to Christ, and then we go next door and we win that person to Christ. And, then we, and we, so we've got a whole line of people that we've led to Christ right down the line. That's not how it usually happens. You know how it usually happens? You witness to somebody over here, that leads to a conversation over there, that leads to a conversation out there that you win to Christ that leads to a conversation over there, that leads to a conversation over there, that leads to that person coming to faith in Christ, that leads you back to that first conversation into that second conversation, and that person then comes to Christ. Do you see how it happens? It rarely happens in a linear fashion. Okay, if I can win Mike to the Lord, then I'm going to win Andrea to the Lord. Maybe I better start with the more wicked amongst you. If I can win Mike to the Lord, then I can win Andrew to the Lord. Then I can win Tom to the Lord. Then I can win Sarah to the Lord. And you, it, it rarely works in that linear fashion. You're sowing the seed everywhere you go. You never know when you're going to come to a conversation and all of a sudden you realize the seed has already been planted. It's already been watered. It's ready to be harvested. You never know. And out of that comes many other conversations. And it goes from house to house. That's what they said. They went from house to house. But it wasn't like you think it is. I mean, there's 3,000 saved on the day of Pentecost. There was 5,000 men a little bit later. And then the number was too great for them to multiply. But there were, there were probably 1 to 3 million Jews in Jerusalem. So not everybody got saved. But as they went from place to place, talking to different people along the way, doors opened and they became children of the living God. So that brings me to say, it's just finally something. You know, you know, ultimately, you know, these are mechanics. You know, this is, these are mechanics of how you do something. You know, here's the thing. If we would just go love people, invite them to come to church, talk to them about the Lord and what he means to us, before you know it, there's going to be conversations going on about their desire to come to faith in Jesus Christ. We just got to love people. We just got to talk to them. We got to get to know them. We just got to be friendly and be nice. Do you ever have a problem being nice? I sometimes have a problem being nice. Um, we don't need to make this more complex than it is. You just go and you share Jesus with people that you have opportunity to share Jesus, and you're looking every day for those opportunities. It doesn't have to be that hard. We just got to talk to people about Christ. We just got to love people. We just got to invite them to church. Did you know the statistics, according to Tom Rainer, 67% of your family, that's your family, 
67%, and listen to the number, 67% of your family would come to church with you if you invited them. 67%. You say, why to church? Well, ultimately, they're going to at least hear the gospel. It may not be an entire sermon on the gospel, but they're going to hear a gospel presentation in the sermon, and it's going to open a door for you. 67% in the family. That's family and relatives. I should include those two circles. Said they would come to church if they had an invitation. Can I just tell you what we need to do? We need to leave tonight in just a few minutes. We just need to go start inviting people to church. Just invite people to church. If you don't know how to get into a conversation with about the gospel, bring them, let them hear me preaching and giving the gospel through the course of the message and let that open the door for you to start talking to them further about the gospel. 67% of your family, your relatives, would come to church if you just asked them. Now, I don't know if you know this, and, and I'm through. We're going to be dismissed a little bit early so that I can go have tacos. And if I leave quickly, please don't be offended at that. I'm, I'm going to safeguard my house as much as I possibly can. I'm having, I'm having fun, Wyatt and, and Emily. You all know that. Um, we just, we just got to love people. I, I was going to read it to you. Here's what I was about to do, and I closed my Bible. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He, then listen to how he words it. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Now listen to that again. He who, hear the word, continually goes forth Weeping, that's the love, the compassion. Bearing seed for sowing, what would that be? That's the gospel. Shall doubtless come again with, what's the word? Rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. We just got to go, folks. We just got to share the gospel. I, I, I close with this, this, this thought. I've been very concerned with... with uh, the younger generation, and I say younger, if you're 40 and under, because you are bombarded by every possible thing that you could imagine. Information is coming at you all the time. And if you already have a propensity to have questions about something, I can promise you, you will find somebody that will give you the answer that you want to hear. And if we as Christians are silent, and we don't share the one answer that we know is the gospel answer. I don't think God's going to be, I don't think God's going to be pleased when we stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation, the word of reconciliation, the position of reconciliation to say to men and women, Look, you, you don't need what that atheist is saying. You ever notice how angry atheists are? They're all mad. But it's coming at them all the time, all the time. 
If they don't hear the gospel and don't get grounded in the truth, they're going to get blown about into false teaching and they'll be destroyed. I know you care. I know you care about people. I care about people. Church, we've got to go start inviting people to church. If we have an empty seat next to us on Sunday mornings, we ought to be asking somebody to come with us and fill that seat and talking to other people about Jesus Christ.